Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union Podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking Swanson, LAFC, Cincy, Seattle highs, Galaxy, Sporty KC, and Montreal lows. Holland, uh, Marsh, Boom Boom Becker, Referee Protection, Apple MLS, Shackleton, Ertz, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this Monday, April 10th in the year 2023? I am doing well. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. I am uh, back. I am refreshed. Uh, I have my uh, my vitamin D uh, from uh, the great state of Florida, uh, but I'm, I'm happy to be back here in front of you in our Again, I call it a makeshift uh, studio, but it is just awesome. So uh, we had all sorts of stuff to talk about. Did you watch anything interesting, my friend? A couple things. A monumental succession episode last night. Yes, I heard uh, from my wife and everybody else. And you can't you can't avoid it now. You know, it's in the the zeitgeist. It's, uh, you know, I, I pull it up on my Twitter and I see people talking about it. Now, I don't watch it, as we all know. I will watch it when it's completely over. But evidently, there was a incredible drop of a show last night. There's some debate among our staff as to whether I can spoil what the big plot development was. You can talk around it. Let's. Just, how about if you talk around it? Was it, I mean, because you are a connoisseur when it comes to a lot of things, including television. You know your television history. I mean, where does it rank up there in terms of jaw-dropping type of episodes in the Pantheon? Oh, it's up there. Really? Yeah. Okay. A, a major character died, okay. which is always right. So this is yeah. who shot JR type of stuff, all, all, all that kind of stuff. Yes. Okay. All right. Interesting. All right. Cool. All right. Well, I, I will uh, check it out. Uh, it's it's still going, right? There's, there's Correct. Gonna be... I do have a second thing to okay, report on. Uh, I did go see that movie Air, which is about oh, Nike, Nike. Yeah, signing yeah. Michael Jordan. I thought it was terrific. It's gotten glowing reviews. One of the guys I went to see it with, a kid named Peter Brozina, who actually grew up in New Jersey and saw you play for Rutgers, mm, sorry about uh, that. he did not enjoy it. He, he did was not. the one dissenting voice. Although he has a track record of being a contrarian, much like you, so take it with a grain of salt. But everybody else I was with loved it, and the reviews have been great. Uh, two thumbs well, up. Well, like me, if and when he does disagree, does he back up his statement? I mean, so what was his problem with it? It just didn't. Didn't he didn't get any feel for it or yeah, didn't he, move him? He's not a big Michael Jordan guy. He thought it was a little Now, Michael too... Jordan is not actually seen in this, right? It's all kind of from behind. Correct. He is a peripheral type of uh, yes. character in this, right? Correct. Uh, by, by design. Yes. So he didn't maybe like that art, artistic choice. Um, this is also, I think it's the first uh, movie from the production company of Ben Affleck and, uh, and Matt Damon's. But you liked it. Love so, it. I mean, do you think it has award possibilities come next season, next award season? Uh, maybe acting awards. Really? Yeah, some of the performances were terrific. Yeah, Matt Damon perhaps could be nominated. Did you learn anything about that whole story that you didn't already know? Yeah, I, I wasn't that familiar with the whole background around it, so I actually learned quite a lot. All right, uh, let's see. What do I have here? Um, I finally got around to reading uh, Endurance, the Shackleton story um, of the uh, the incredible um, adventure uh, that turned into a complete disaster, but ultimately turned into an incredible uh, story of survival down there in the Antarctic. Antarctic, And um, it, is, it is incredible. I, a few years ago, people were going crazy for this uh, this book, and I just it just passed me at the time. So I, I got around to reading it. Awesome. Uh, and then, because, uh, you know, I'm going back and forth on planes here. The other thing I saw is the, uh, in, our, in our sports theme here, it's called Boom Boom, The World versus Boris Becker. It is two episodes, both around an hour and a half, maybe even longer. So it ends up being about a three-hour documentary on the great Boris Becker 
on his life on the court, winning Wimbledon at 17 and then off the court, just insane stuff that uh, happened. Um, there, it, it's, it's a little long and it should have been edited and distilled down, but it's an incredible examination of obviously a very young athlete, not just achieving success at a very early age, but everything that comes with it, all of the fame and the attention and his inability at times to deal with it. Um, and then by the time he's 24, 25, he's almost at the end of his career. And also the naivete that athletes sometimes have relative to the money that they're making, how long they're going to make it and protecting that. So that was really interesting to see how, because he just kind of washes his hands and say, I, I just, I didn't know about any of that. I wasn't taught any of that. And you find out as you go through that it, it cost him, literally it cost him um, millions and millions of dollars. And you also find yourself shaking your head going, well, I, I would still like to have been in those shoes to try to dealt with that situation that you didn't do it. it says more about you than just the fact that you were a uh, young person and all the fame and all the stuff that came about it and his marriages and going to jail and all this uh, kind of stuff. So I do recommend it. I think it's on Apple. I will check it out. All right. You, could, you should check it out. Uh, anything else before we uh, move along here? That's it. All right. Uh, ready to light this candle? Let's do it. All right. Where should we start here? Because uh, we are we were recording this, as we said, on Monday, April 10th, after a weekend of, of uh, wonderful domestic uh, competition, but also international competition. Let's start with the women's team, shall we? Let's start with the U.S. women's national team. They claimed a 2-0 win over the Republic of Ireland on Saturday in Austin in the first of the two matches these countries will play. Emily Fox late in the first half, and then Lindsay Horan from the penalty spot. In the second half, but the win overshadowed by the terrible news involving Mallory Swanson. She picked up a knee injury late in the first half, had to come off. It's since been revealed that she tore her patella tendon in her left knee. Some places are still hedging and saying she's likely out of the World Cup, but from what I read, the recovery time for this injury is six months. So I'm going to go ahead and say she's out of the World Cup, which is yeah. a terrible blow for the U.S. She's been the U.S.'s best player this calendar year, scored four of their five goals in the She Believes Cup. So horrible news. Yeah, horrible news for her uh, from a practical perspective from the U.S. women's national team. I mean, this was a woman on fire in terms of scoring, uh, you know, arguably the most dangerous player that we had. And so this takes out a huge component in this effort come this summer to win three World Cups uh, in, a, in a row. That's, you know, that's the bad news. And there's no way to shade it in anything else. But incredibly bad news for the individual player, uh, obviously. I, I do hope that she recovers. Like you said, I don't expect her nor I think anybody expect her to be involved in this World Cup, which is a shame because you only get so many World Cups. And uh, as we know, <laughs> we've talked about this before, it's every four years. If, if, if it was every two years, maybe it'd be a different way of thinking about these things, but it's every four years and it's not promised to anybody. And she's young enough where she certainly can play in another World Cup. But regardless of the success that you have from a club and domestic perspective, it's the World Cup. And whether it's uh, you know, whether it's Mally Swanson or any of these other uh, younger players in this young generation, they will have grown up watching this U.S. women's national team do great things on the field and, you know, acquire this platform off the field. But it's all through what they have done in the World Cup. And that is that moment to shine. And that is that moment when you ultimately create the persona, the pers personality, the image, the brand, whatever that you want. And that in that one instance is taken away from her. And it's, uh, it's incredibly sad uh, for her, but I do think that she has world cups in, a, in the future. So knock on wood, she uh, gets back hundred uh, percent, but black Kondonowski and company now immediately have to turn to what are they going to do? Uh, Alyssa Thompson, 
immediately packed her bags and was into camp. And this is the good thing about this U.S. team is that they do have quality. They do have talent that they can call on. Nobody yet uh, has shown the Mallory Swanson type of um, ability and consistency, but they do have others that can, uh, that can come into camp. So the, the actual game against Ireland, and we're, like we said, we're recording this on Monday. Tuesday, the U.S. will face this Ireland team again. And keep in mind, this is an Ireland team that is going to the World Cup. I, I didn't think that they were elite by any stretch of the imagination. You know, they're not a Thailand type of thing, but I think that, you know, they'll, they will give their opponents games, but ultimately they're not good enough. They're not elite. And they're certainly not good enough to challenge a U.S. in this game uh, or the game I think that's coming up uh, on Tuesday as they prep for the uh, the World Cup. I'm of two minds on the U.S. Um, six wins out of six this calendar year, all six games against World Cup teams. They've outscored the opposition 16 to 1. So you look at that and you think, what's the problem? But it doesn't feel as dominant as it's been in the past. Now, maybe that's just my outdated view of women's soccer. I just assume that when they face anybody that's not one of the elite, that they're going to lay the hammer down. And maybe it's not like that anymore. And I need to adjust to that new world. But what do you think? Does it bother you that these wins don't feel as dominant as they did in the past? It doesn't bother me because uh, we've talked about as the rest of the world has finally not caught up, but at least attempted to to catch up with a very limited amount of resources, but more so than they have in the past, they are able to close that gap. But there is still a gap. So that margin has decreased, but there is still a margin. And ultimately, the, the cream of the crop is the U.S., especially playing against a team uh, like Ireland. And as we said last uh, episode, the U.S. only really faces competition against a handful of teams. Ireland is not, is not one of them. Can they win on the day? Certainly. The U.S. can be beaten by teams that you know, are of inferior quality. But it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't bother me that we're not blowing out every single team that we come up against. As a matter of fact, in a more big-picture perspective, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I don't look at it necessarily as the U.S. regressing as a much as much as I look at the rest of the world progressing. And if the U.S. Yeah, if the U.S. if women's soccer, if the women's World Cup, um, if soccer in general is ever to evolve and to uh, and to progress, everybody else has to catch up because that's where the competition is ultimately. And as I said before, you can gain incredible amounts of, uh, you know, make incredible strides in a short period of time with a limited amount of resources. And that was what we were seeing. There still will be blowouts this summer in the World Cup. And it's kind of the price you have to pay for this opportunity of bringing, as we know, more teams in, teams of lesser quality in therefore. And so you're going to get some, uh, some blowouts. But I think the days of the U.S. blowing out every single team that they come up against are gone. And that's a good thing. And to be fair, England didn't look that impressive against Brazil in the finalissima. Uh, so uh, that's the team that everybody's yeah. holding up is that the U.S. might have trouble oh, against the God, World Cup. I don't want to see anybody but anyway. <laughs> uh, the big story coming into this U.S. game was the return of Julie Ertz, called up for the first time since the Olympics. She got on the field in the second half and looked pretty good. So that was the major positive to come out of this game. I mean, that she was in camp. Well, first off, that she has decided to continue to play soccer. Then that Vladko believed in her enough, and he should, given her track record, to at least bring her into camp. And that she actually got on the field. You know, that was the feel-good part of the uh, of the night. Um, you know, and, you know, juxtaposed against the, uh, the horrible story of Mally Swanson. But you could see that Julie Ertz was enjoying being back. You could see that that spark, wherever it had gone, had reignited. And, um, and it's going to take time. And I remember when I took uh, some time off, um, and what ends up happening is 
when you come back, you run on adrenaline for that initial uh, point. And so you have this incredible surge and then it kind of comes down. And then ultimately who you're going to be is back when it comes back up again. And so, you know, she's going to go through both physical and, you know, mental adjustment to get back into it. But she's one of the great players in U.S. history, one of the great players in the game, despite taking 20 months off and having a child and all the different things that that comes with. And so I, I, don't, I certainly don't put it past her to, uh, to find a way back uh, and to be dominant again. And she's going to have to be. I will say this, though. If and when she is on the field, let's say she is starting for the U.S. come this summer because she's gotten a uh, club team. We still don't know where she's going to play. Uh, and she's you know not gotten hurt, knock on wood. There will be pressure on her because she will have come in after taking two years off, basically, and reclaimed a spot uh, at the expense of somebody else who is not going to go to the World Cup or is not going to actually play. And if and when things don't go well, immediately Vlatko will be asked, well, is it Julie Ertz? Is, you know, did you, you know, were you influenced by what happened in the past? And Janet Jackson, what have you done for me lately? And she was, you know, just basically playing off of her laurels and playing off of her past. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen, but if it does go badly, don't think for a second that that conversation is going to come up. To go back to Swanson for one second, does her absence change the equation as far as Katerina Macario? Up to now, Vladko had been saying, well, we got to see how she looks when she gets back on the field. And now if she's available for the World Cup, do you basically take her because you need that offensive spark and you just hope that she can even if she's rusty and she hasn't played a lot for her club, that she can recapture her best during the tournament? Yeah, I don't think that Mallory Swanson, the, the situation with her changes Vlaco's out, outlook on Katrina. I, I, I think if she was ready, and if and when she is ready, she is so different and so good, or at least she can be. Again, this is all just yeah, basing on what you were bef before, in this case, ooh, just drop this, uh, in case of what you, what, you were, what you were before, yeah, that's hard, you know. Uh, but I think, yeah, if she's if she's even close to being back to uh, being able to play, she's so good that yeah, he's uh, he's bringing her. And again, I don't think the problems are going to be up top, honestly, for this team. I think they'll score goals. I think they'll create opportunities. I think their problems will be midfield and defense. I know you're bullish on this U.S. team, but mm -hmm. without Mallory Swanson, would you concede their chances of winning the World Cup have diminished, or you wouldn't go that far? I mean, she's important, but. I don't think that it's woe is me where all is lost now. It's a huge, you know, it's a huge loss and it's a big player. But no, I, I wouldn't, I don't change my outlook when it comes onto this team. When I, when I say I'm bullish, it doesn't necessarily, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll reserve judgment as to whether I think they're ultimately going to win until we get closer to the World Cup. By the way, we should remind everybody that if you're listening to this on Tuesday, we are 100 days out from the Women's World. I can't even believe it's 100 days out. And in celebration of uh, what is to come this summer, uh, we will have a special guest later on this week. We you can mention I, who yeah, it is. Go ahead. You, well, you, it's my favorite human being. Uh, exactly. uh, Allie Wagner will be with us on Wednesday to talk all things U.S. women's national team and perhaps also her expansion NWSL franchise. She's a big owner now, you know. She's a big uh, owner in uh, the expansion team that's coming up in the, the Bay Area. So congratulations uh, to her and all the ownership up there on what's going to happen. But, yeah, she's also our lead uh, color analyst when it comes to uh, this summer and um, and multiple summers when it comes to men's and women's soccer here. And I know Mossy uh, loves her. I think she's pretty cool. Uh, and so she'll be here to talk about 
all things uh, when it comes to this U.S. team as we get prepared for the summer and, you know, her Tottenham and all, or all sorts of other things. Because when we get to- talking to her, uh, we go down all sorts of different uh, different directions. All right. So anyway, uh, we'll see what happens with this second game uh, against um, Ireland. And then, like I said, this uh, later on this week, when we, uh, we will talk about all things uh, U.S. Women's National Team with the great Allie Wagner. Anything else, Mussy? That's it. All right. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll take a trip around Europe and MLS. Don't go anywhere. Okay, welcome back. Uh, that was a, a quick opening segment there. And and by the way, uh, if you're uh, been out of shape that we started off the pod with a uh, full segment on the U.S. Women's National Team, then probably this isn't the podcast for you. We've talked for, for ages about how we can't be everything to everybody, but we do look through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. And when it comes to soccer in the United States, the women's national team occupies an important and big space in the things that we talk about. And so... Um, you know, that's that's one of the reasons why we thought this was uh, appropriate for us to start the show off with. I was outvoted. I wanted to start it with Wrexham, Knotts County. Yeah, but that's you. Uh, that's you. And I, <laughs> I, I had to put my uh, American foot down and say, hell no, that's not happening. Uh, as we come to air right now, Wrexham won. Is that what you told us? 3-2 yeah. victory. They now have a three-point lead and a game in hand in the National League standing. So they're in the driver's seat for promotion. What a Fairy tale story, fairy Ryan Reynolds. T- and- uh, the, there was a penalty kick save too, and and all that kind of stuff, right? So yeah. um, you know, you you go out and you spend more than others, and <laughs> uh, you therefore hedge your bets, and you ba- basically assure yourself the ability to p- be promoted. That's true competition, right, Mossy? <laughs> All right, so what'd we, you call them? What'd you call Re- Rexham? Uh, the uh, I was joking that you consider them the Man City of the National League. Exactly. You're not having this as a fairy tale story. I, no, I'm having it. No, well, it's, <laughs> I'm not having it as a fairy tale story. It's not a fairy tale story, but I am. I am having it in that uh, you know you you play the cards you're dealt and uh, you work within the rules. And in this situation, you go and you buy better players than the opposition, and uh, you assure yourself the chance of going up, which looks like they're going to do, and that's uh, it's going to be fun. All right, we, we begin our European weekend review with some managerial news. Uh, we know Leicester recently sacked their manager, Brendan Rodgers, and the name they were linked with for a couple of days there, the English media was acting like this was definitely going to happen, was Jesse Marsh. We know he recently turned down Southampton because they wouldn't give him a long-term commitment. They were in the relegation zone, and they would only hire him through the end of the season, so he felt like he was being set up to fail there. But in Leicester's case, reportedly they were offering him a three-year deal, so despite the fact that they're in the relegation zone right now, you thought maybe that job he would take because there was a longer term commitment there. Uh, so I texted Sean Sullivan. We got to talk about this from a U.S. national team perspective, a big name being taken off the board. Right. And then lo and behold, in the last 24 hours, talks have collapsed. They couldn't agree on some of the details and it was enough for Jesse to walk away. So he remains unemployed and available to the U.S. national team. Well, he remains unemployed. He's still getting paid. And uh, so no crying for Jesse when it comes to the, the money that's he, that he's making right now as a, as a sacked, fired coach, right? Uh, Europe, when I say Europe, I mean, in particular, England seems to be enamored with Jesse Marsh. And look, I, I love Jesse. Uh, I think he is an incredibly talented um, coach and a wonderful person. And would you know, there were plenty of teams out there that uh, should be so lucky to have someone like Jesse Marsh, but we got a bunch of Jesse Marshes over here in the uh, in the in the U.S. And you know Jesse took his chances and recognized that pathway and did all those things. But this is all good for Jesse, even whether he takes it or not. This is all good to constantly be in the consciousness, to constantly be in the conversation as a head coach for some uh, for for EPL teams because it 
whether he takes the job or not, you know, there is this usual suspects that are uh, that are out there. And I don't know what his thinking is and what his philosophy is right now as to what he ultimately wants to do. We, we you know, I had him in my uh, my list for U.S. men's national team uh, coaches, and this still keeps him kind of, I guess, in the in the running. And maybe he's just holding out for something for something better where he's not in a situation where it's fraught with relegation. And I know that that could probably take a toll uh, mentally and physically on not just players, but more importantly, managers that are in that situation. Maybe he wants a little bit more security to be able to do the things that he wants. I will say I agreed with him turning down the Southampton job. This one is a bit more interesting. Lester, this feels like a blip. Maybe uh, Brendan Rodgers overstated his welcome. Mm -hmm. uh, they're only two points from safety. And that's a club that the last three seasons finished eighth, fifth, and fifth. They A couple years ago, they won the FA Cup. Last year, they got to the semifinals of a European competition. They have players. They have pedigree. He could have done something there if he could have just kept them up this season and then a reset in the summer, maybe make some moves. So this is an interesting one for him to turn down. He's being pretty picky, which I don't begrudge him. I, and again, I don't know the ins and outs of the talks and what the stumbling block was, but Southampton, I was totally fine with him. This one was at least curious that he turned down. Well, I mean, he is going to put to the test that whole theory about the more you say no, the more sought after you are and the more value you, valuable you end up being. And uh, so, I mean, like I said, this is all going to be fine for Jesse, but you know that he has been consistently part of this conversation now on multiple teams right there, I think shows you the affinity people have for him and the respect that people have for the type of coach that uh, that he is. And it's great from an American perspective and looking through those red, white, and blue colored glasses that, you know, somebody, one of one of our guys is getting that type of acknowledgement and that type of respect. But there's also part of me that's going, all right, well, you know, Jesse is, is as good. And there are other coaches that are as good that don't have the opportunity or didn't have the opportunities that he had. And that's nothing against, uh, against, against Jesse, but, I'll, I'll take this all day as opposed to the the anti-American type of bias or uh, pushback that at times we have when it comes to players and coaches. Now, had he taken the job, one of his first matches would have been against Leeds, which would have been delicious Ooh. with both those teams battling relegation. Uh, Leeds this past weekend suffered a 5-1 home defeat to that Crystal Palace. They actually scored first and then Palace scored five unanswered. Tyler Adams still out, but McKinney and Aronson both started a disastrous result. Horrible, horrible result. And, you know, this is a, everything is so uh, you know, close right now that one or two results here, you can literally be in the middle of the table. And then a couple of results later, if you drop them, you can be right back down in that relegation fight. And so it's going to change every single game. That makes it interesting uh, going forward. But if you're leads right now, you know, just last week, people were tweeting me, oh, they're fine. They're up. Everything's, uh, everything's good. And now, you know, you lose. And keep in mind, who knows? It could come down to goal differential and stuff like that. You just let five goals in, and that's not, you know, that's not a uh, a good look at home right now. And it is almost as if they just kind of gave up. They scored their goal, and then they just turned around and said, "And whatever halftime speech was given, <laughs> my goodness, because Crystal Palace looked completely different coming back." Uh, leads down to 16th. They're two points above the uh, cut line. Um, Chelsea, in their first match under Frank Lampard, who they brought back on an interim basis for the remainder of this campaign, they suffer a 1-0 defeat away to Wolves. Mateus Nunes with the only goal. Uh, Christian Pulisic came on for the last half hour, didn't do a whole lot. 
So no new manager bounce for Chelsea here. I mean, what's Chelsea playing for right now? It's in the Premier League, nothing. Right. They're in that I mean, no man's land, right. not going to get relegated, not going to finish top anything. So it really is just playing out the string. And a lot of these players, and there are a lot of them, right? We know we talked about the size of the squad. It, it just kind of, it, you almost want to just fast forward Chelsea to the summer where things are then are going to, uh, then are, uh, then are going to happen. So it's not it's not great from a uh, a Frank Lampard perspective because I think he wanted to come in and kind of not, I don't even know if he wanted to state his case to continue on, but I think he wanted to show that he can come in and there is quality and in in the marketplace out there kind of reassert himself, and this is not the way to do it. In terms of the title race, Manchester City took care of their business on Saturday, a four one win away to Southampton. Erlen Holland with two goals, including this incredible overhead kick. He's now up to 30 goals in the Premier League this season. The single season record is 34 by Alan Shear and Andy Cole, but both, both of those were in 42-game seasons. Uh, the record in a 38-game season is Mo Salah with 32, uh, but Holland is going to pass the 42-game number as well. Yeah. He's going to shatter this record. And what, what was I saying? That he's scored more goals individually than Chelsea have, uh, have scored and two less games he's actually been. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's insane what he is, uh, is doing. And yet we still have that conversation. We had it over the last couple of weeks about do they play better with him or is that the type of style? Well, the style of scoring goals is ultimately the only one that matters. I think in the final analysis... They're great with him. They're great with Adam. They just do it a bit differently. Uh, it's a bit more fluid with Adam, a bit more just direct with him. But the end result is the same. They're, they're, they're a great and team. Yeah. And it's not just Thomas <laughs> Grealish, you know, these types of yeah. players that are kind of coming into their own and, and feeling good about what's going on. But, I mean, the bike with the, with the left foot, it came over. And there was enough time where everybody kind of saw it coming, as did uh, Alan. And it's it's Zlatan-esque in that somebody that big that you normally don't associate with this almost ballet type of of movement is able to do that first off is able to just co contemplate and conceive of doing that and then has the mechanical ability you know to basically create a instant work of art in that it was just it was wonderful so City put the pressure on Arsenal, and then they got the result they wanted on Sunday. Arsenal dropping points, uh, held to a 2-2 draw away to Liverpool. Arsenal jumped out to a 2-0 lead. Martinelli and Jesus, they dominated most of the first half. The worm started to turn late in the first half. Salah pulled one back, and Liverpool finished the half very strong, almost equalized before the break. And then the second half was a massacre. Liverpool looked like the Liverpool of old. I know the equalizer didn't come till very late, Roberto Firmino. So Arteta acted afterwards like he was disappointed. They dropped two points. But frankly, I thought Arsenal was the more fortunate team to get out of there with a draw. Liverpool had a zillion chance in the second half. Salah missed a penalty. Ramsdale making miraculous saves. Can you repeat, repeat for those that didn't hear it, uh, what you said on the earlier pod about this strange mathematical way that you're thinking about it, that only your mind is able to think about? No, no. It's, I mean, it, there was this notion out there that it would take an epic Arsenal collapse for them to not win the league. And that was never the case. So all that needed to happen is what happened this weekend. They dropped points against Liverpool. And now, if City beat Arsenal head-to-head -head at the Etihad in a couple of weeks, and then both teams win all their other games, they would finish level on points. And it would come down to goal difference, which City have the edge right now. So, good chance they would win the title in that scenario. And I completely agree with you that, that ultimately, if you are Arsenal, and they don't have a good uh, record there, but they, they got lucky. Now, first... 30, 35 minutes, it was all Arsenal. And, and that, I think, is what is so frustrating from a Liverpool perspective, is that 
This is a team that cannot play complete games. And so whether it's our friends at Kenworthy or anybody else out there, it must be maddening to see this team that almost in a moment turned on what has been missing and kind of looked around and said, oh, well, we're not supposed to do this. And not only that, but we still have the talent to compete against, quote unquote, the best in the, in the league. And that, that's great that they found that gear, but, but it's consistently being, been missing uh, this, uh, this year. And so ultimately, you know, ends up being uh, the, the, a, a point for each. And I think Arsenal just says, we'll live to fight another day. And they probably should have lost that game, ultimately. Now, a bizarre development involving the linesman in this match. It's, it's an AR. It's not called a linesman anymore, okay? It's called an AR, an assistant referee, okay? Uh, the assistant referee, the halftime break, all the Liverpool players were circling the referee and complaining about, I guess they thought he was being too lenient with Arsenal's kind of time-wasting and feigning injuries, et cetera, in the first half. And there's a video of the AR elbowing Andy Robertson in the face. Uh, the FA have launched an investigation. They said he's not going to be assigned to any matches while this investigation is going on. What the heck did you make of that? All right. <laughs> Listen. Um, when, I, when I saw this and saw the, the angles of this, I, I, I thought to myself, am I crazy? Because it was off of the pundits and uh, you know, all of the analysts talking about this as if this AR had decapitated Andy Robertson and you know, people calling for him to be you know, fired and you know, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, hung off of uh, London Bridge. I mean, do not, do not encroach into a referee's area. Do not encroach into a referee's personal space. And Andy Robertson, okay, came flying over, emotional, passionate, angry, and knew damn well what he was do doing with his body movement. And I don't understand why an AR in that situation isn't given the, the, the latitude to be able to recognize that this guy is coming over and coming over hot, coming over like a punk. And invading his space and that you can't do something to get away from that. Okay. And that he decided to give him the chicken wing. It wasn't a full fledged uh, elbow to the face, but by the way, even if it was a full fledged elbow to the space, get the hell away from the referee. You have no business running up to a referee. Why do you think oftentimes in the middle of the, uh, the field, we see players come up to referees and they put their arms behind their back because they want to make it very, very clear that they are not doing anything that could be possibly misconstrued as uh, assaulting a, uh, a referee. This referee is going to get punished, okay? Why should a referee be punished for protecting himself in a moment because it was a player as opposed to somebody coming in out of the stands. Somebody comes at you, you should be able to protect yourself. Your personal space should be sacred. And if you want to come at somebody and the worst thing that you get is the guy lifting up his, uh, his arm and then you behave like you just got shot or you behave like you just got an elbow to your nose and broke your nose, come on. 
man. That's that that is lame. That is lame. And it's surprising because all I hear from uh, you know English uh, uh, commentators and stuff is the, they lament the fact that that people are faking, people are diving, and the dark arts and all that all that kind of stuff, which is exactly what this was. I don't think anything should ultimately happen to this this AR. That AR deserved to walk to the middle of the field, deserved to walk off the field without being accosted by any players. The other thing that people lament, and have, they've tried to at least focus in on, is mass confrontation. Whether it's a mass confrontation or singular confrontation from a player, don't confront the referee in that way. Stay the hell back. And I know it's hard in the moment, and you're emotional, and you're passionate. If you come at somebody, don't cry when that person protects themselves from somebody physically coming towards them. So anyway, I don't ultimately know what's uh, what's going to happen. But if they people are suggesting ban this guy forever, never, ever work again. Come on. I saw Gary Neville sort of say what you said, that the people are being overly dramatic. Maybe he sits out for a weekend, but then he should come back and work. And it's not that big a deal. But what is he sitting out for a weekend for? What's the justification? No, you have to take it? When somebody comes flying in on you, screaming and yelling and invades your space like that, you have to take it? You can't get yourself away? You can't use, oh, you know, you, you use your arms all the time to shield other players. That's exactly what he was doing. He was shielding people. And people should know you've done some refereeing the last couple of years. So this, this issue now hits home to you. I'm sure you've had parents get in your face during these recreational games. I just, everybody... You know what's the what's the what's the um the saying that they have uh um do stupid stuff or whatever it's something like that where you know I don't know what the I don't know what the kids say Mossy but uh you know that you that this was the consequence of your action should not be surprising to you act like an asshole all right and you should thank your lucky stars that you got grazed uh, by the referee's elbow as opposed to cold cocked, which is probably what you deserved. In Germany this weekend, uh, Dortmund claimed a 2-1 home win over Union Berlin, Mukoku with a late goal to decide that one. Uh, Gio Reyna not even on the bench. It's a little fuzzy whether that illness still has something to do with it. Terzic gave kind of a weird answer where people are trying to decipher it. But Regardless, I'm not getting a great vibe off that situation right now. I think Gio has fallen pretty far down the pecking <laughs> <You> order. <think? laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I would think that Gio and his agent will already be looking for a uh, a summer move. If you know, if indeed it's it's not really physical or you know like he's sick or anything like that, but he's obviously not part of their plans. But the whole idea for a young player at Dortmund is to use Dortmund as a springboard to an even bigger club, mm-hmm. and. Once upon a time, that's the path we thought Gio was on. Now you think it might have to be a step down? or uh, I, I mean, well, that gets into what, what's his valuation right now. I still think that there are people that say, all right, it was, just, it was the wrong situation at Dortmund, but we can make it work over here. You know, unless there's, and this is, this is where you got to be really careful about your reputation and it, and it follows you because, you know, as, as much as we talk about, you know, nepotism and all that kind of stuff, everybody knows everybody. And all it takes is a few phone calls here. And don't think for a second that people that are kicking the tires on Gio Reyna aren't going to find out exactly what was going on behind the scenes. Now, it might not deter them, but that type of information will go out. And it, 
it, it might be one-sided. Gio might have a completely different take on why the situation uh, didn't work out. Or it might just be a practical answer and a completely valid answer and say, his body just can't take it. And he's constantly injured. We know that he has been injured mul uh, multiple times. So, but either, but regardless, uh, regardless of that, this summer, they should be looking for uh, a type of move. But I don't necessarily think it's a, a move down. Uh, Dortmund remained two points back of Bayern, who won their match 1-0 away to Freiburg. Matthias de Litt with the only goal there. So that title race uh, rolls on. Bayern will transition from that game to playing Manchester City in the Champions League, an absolutely delicious quarterfinal tie. By the time you hear this podcast, the first leg might have already been played. It's at the Etihad. The other really glamour tie in this round is Real Madrid-Chelsea. Real Madrid hosting the first leg. A reminder, when Chelsea won the Champions League two years ago, they eliminated Real Madrid in the semifinals. Pulisic, fantastic, scored in the first leg, had an assist in the second leg. Who knows? Maybe this matchup, he can conjure up some of that same magic again. Am yeah. I reaching? <laughs> I mean, no, you're not reaching. I mean, he has that type of, of quality. And there are only eggs, as we already mentioned, when it comes to Chelsea. This is, this is their season. And I do think that... The fact that Chelsea was still in Champions League made it that much more appealing for Frank Lampard. And I think the wheels started spinning and say, all right, if I am able to do something big in Champions League, that would be a nice, nice feather in the cap. And, you know, they are drastically, dra drastically different teams when you, <laughs> when you look at these two. But strange, you know, strange things happen, but I'm, not, I'm certainly not picking Chelsea. And again, that's one side of the bracket. Manchester City-Bayern, Real Madrid-Chelsea. So the winners of those ties would meet in the semifinals. That City-Bayern, again, that's Pep against his former club. Remember, he spent three seasons at Bayern, couldn't win the Champions League. And now Bayern is the team trying to prevent him from winning it this season. It's Pep against Tuchel. That was 2021 Champions League final when it was City-Chelsea. So, so many storylines there. The other side of the bracket... You have Benfica Inter, Benfica hosting the first leg. That's kind of a 50-50 to me. Benfica have had a great season. They did lose at home to Porto last time out. And then AC Milan, Napoli, AC Milan hosting the first leg. Osimhen is a major doubt for this first leg. He's been battling a muscle injury. When these two teams played recently in Serie A without Osimhen, AC Milan won 4-0 away to Napoli. So Napoli are a very different team without him. So keep an eye on that. But you're still going to go for Napoli? Still going to go for Napoli. Okay. Even without him? Even... Yes, I think he'd be back for the second leg. Right, okay. So we'll so see. So you're, you're, you're counting on him, him playing at least one leg. Yes, 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 yes. All right, well, we'll look forward to that. And like you said, uh, by the time you're listening to that, they already might have happened or they might be happening right now. You might be you know, watching it a one, with one, one eye and listening to us. Uh, Major League Soccer this past weekend. St. Louis with their second straight defeat and their first real welcome to MLS moment. Uh, a 3-0 loss away to Seattle. Atencio, Rui Diaz, and Nerwinski with an own goal, accounting for the scoring there. Uh, so St. Louis, a bit of a wake-up call in this one. Yeah, I mean, I don't. It's not the end of the world for St. Louis. They've already padded their the beginning of the season, obviously. But you know, now they're getting into playing some. First off, they're getting into playing some better teams. Second off, they're getting into a situation where people now know exactly what. St. Louis is all about. doesn't mean you can stop him. I mean, there was even an opportunity early in the game for St. Louis. So it's not as if they, they couldn't conjure up uh, attacking opportunities and they couldn't have been in that game. But they came up against a team that is arguably the best team in the league and a team that is playing very, very well and you know, didn't even miss a beat. And playing on turf, all, all, those, uh, all those different things. But we knew that there was going to be a back to reality type of moment. And now this is two losses in a row uh, for St. Louis. And 
Seattle didn't uh, didn't mess around. And Atencio gets his first <laughs> first MLS goal, a bomb from outside of the uh, the 18. So everything is clicking now when it comes uh, to Seattle. LAFC hosted Austin in a rematch of last year's Western Conference Final. LAFC with a 3-0 win. The incredible Dennis Buanga with all three goals. He has 11 in nine games in all competitions this season. It, it, and he's just scoring every different type of goal from all different places on the field. And this is a, a player, and you, you see this in all sports. I was talking about the Boris Becker documentary. There's a, there's a point where he talks about winning and then there was nothing anybody could do to stop him. There is nothing anybody has yet come uh, up with to stop Buanga. And, you know, unless he gets injured and knock on wood, he doesn't. He is right now absolutely in contention for certainly Golden Boot, but also uh, MVP, uh, MVP over the league. And for LAFC, that is great. It's not great for uh, the Los Angeles Galaxy because El Trafico is coming this, uh, this weekend right now. But, you know, this is this is fun to see, and then we go back to you know, we were talking about the valuation of Gio Reyna. You know what is the valuation on the international market of a goal scorer? The most valuable thing in our game is scoring goals, and therefore those are the uh, those are the men and women that are valued the most. And what is his transfer fee ultimately? Because I don't think we're going to see him very here very long if he continues to do what he's doing. Although he is committing one sin in your eyes. What's that? He's scoring them in bunches. He's had multiple hat tricks, right. two goal games. Your MVP criteria is based on scoring in the most amount of games. Yes, exactly. And so ultimately, when we get to the end of the season, as everybody knows, it's not about how many goals you score. It's how many different games that you score in. And yes, he has taken off some uh, some games, but I'd still like him on my team <laughs> up there because I know uh, the danger that he... And, you know, he's he scored a goal this past weekend. The ball comes over to the far post, and he just hits it perfectly off this kind of half half volley into the upper part of the net, the only place that you could possibly put it from this uh, this crazy angle. And like I said, he shoots at will. He, you know, he will, even will do things that if you're a teammate, you might be shaking your hands and go, why are you doing? And it's that moment where you go, I can't believe it. Oh, it went in. <laughs> I used to do that with uh, Winalda. He'd take some ridiculous attempt or shot and, you know, well, oftentimes it didn't, nothing happened. So I'd roll my eyes or scream and yell at him. But then, you know, he'd do something and I'd be ready to scream and yell at him. And then it came off really nice. I'd say, oh, okay, I get it. Because I, I, I can't do that. Uh, Eastern Conference showdown. Cincinnati claimed they won no home win over Philadelphia. Lucho Acosta with the only goal. Again, not pretty from Cincinnati, but they grind out another result. They currently top the Supporter Shield standings. Did, was Pat Noonan again angry and incensed <laughs> at the way that his team played? And well, we'll take the win, but I don't like. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, but this is the mark of a team that is able to grind out results. You know, all the different things that you say in a situation like that. So yeah, I would think they they want to play better, they want to score more. But not only this is a win, this is a win against Philadelphia. And I know Philadelphia has kind of put all of their eggs right now into the Concacaf Champions basket, but. Does that bother you? I know you love Jim Curtin, but he rotated the lineup heavily here, left a lot of his best players out with an eye towards that second leg against Atlas, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, I know you're, you feel like MLS teams should make more of an effort to compete on multiple fronts. It, it bothers me if the same thing happens to Jim Curtin as happened last year to Seattle. I think Jim Curtin is a, um, he's a student of the game and he will have seen what Seattle did. And 
I think he will do everything in his power to guard against that happening. And I don't think it's necessarily a fait accompli if you do that. You just have to pick a side and do it, and then therefore you're going to be under the gun for the rest of the uh, the rest of the season. So I think you're, I think you're, I think you're cheating. You know, the people that buy tickets, the people that watch your team. But I get the justification that Jim Curtin is going to have when he would, if he was sitting in front of me, say, yes, but this is what I have to do. And the opportunity to be champions of CONCACAF, the opportunity to represent CONCACAF and represent Philadelphia and MLS in a Club World Cup, that supersedes any individual game. And he will do the exact same thing that probably Brian Schmetzer did and said, yeah, but we'll have so many games to be able to make up any, any hole that we dig ourselves for early in the season. Well, be careful because we saw Seattle wasn't able to do that. And yes, they had injuries and, and stuff like that. But I don't think that this is going to be an elite type of MLS season by any stretch of the imagination for Philadelphia, nor does it have to be. If they just are able to find a way to get on a roll, get some games, and just become a mid-level type of team, I, and they are able to uh, do well in CONCACAF Champions League, I, I think that Jim Curtin will uh, have been successful and he will have flipped it from what Brian Smetzer and company did last year. Uh, Palmeiras of Brazil recently put out a B team in a Libertadores match because they prioritized a domestic game they had Ooh. a few days later. And a Brazilian columnist criticized him for that. And he had a great line in, in the article. He said that when you do that to your fans, it's like they bought tickets to go see a certain band perform and then a cover band walks on stage instead. Yep, it's great. <laughs> it's, a, it's a wonderful analogy and it's absolutely correct. And if I was, it, it always, it, it, it always, struck me as as strange in that and i know they're understudies in uh, in broadway and, and stuff like that but if and when a band to use to, you know to uh, to use his example if the lead singer was not available they would cancel the the, uh, the game and they would refund the tickets and they would come back later or something something like that and you know the nba is dealing with this situation right now about resting players and rotation and all all that kind of stuff but you are selling this product and all of the marketing revolves around players all of the marketing revolves around the star players and if you get there at what point does it become false advertising and you're not giving the people what they ultimately paid for i don't know now the game that philadelphia rested players for is this uh, CCL quarterfinal second leg away to Atlas. They will go to Guadalajara looking to protect a 1-0 advantage. That's really the one tie that's up for grabs. The other ones, uh, Violet, Leon, Leon have a 5-0 aggregate lead. They play the second leg in the Dominican Republic. LAFC hosts Vancouver with a 3-0 aggregate advantage. And then Tigres hosts Motago with a 1-0 advantage. So not the same degree as the other two, but I still think Tigres solid favorites to advance there. All four of those on FS1, by the way. I know I didn't do a great job of selling three of the four, but you do have that <laughs> Atlas Philadelphia one on Wednesday, which we're all looking forward to. League MX versus MLS. So that should be a fascinating matchup. All right. So let's go through it again. Uh, you got Leon, not a problem, right? Going yep. through. Um, I, I, LAFC, not a problem going through. Uh, Atlas and Philly. You think Philly? It's 50-50 to me. Atlas and Sinelli, they played all their guys at the weekend against Juarez in a Liga MX game, 1-1 draw. So we'll see what that means. Uh, but so, yeah. I'm, more, I'm worried about Philly. But if they get that goal, that away goal. Then I'll, I'll pick Philly to advance. You will. Yeah. All right. I'll pick, I'll pick Atlas. Uh, and then uh, Tigres Montagua. Tigres brings it home and has, a, has no problem? Or what do you think? I think so, yeah. Okay. And that would set up 
Leon Tigres in one semifinal, and then LAFC Philadelphia in the other if Philadelphia advances, right. which would be a rematch of the incredible MLS Cup we covered oh. last year, and we'd get two games of those teams. Well, you know, while I picked Atlas, I would love to see that. Uh, that would be great. And and as I said, you know, last uh, last episode, I disagreed with Stu Holden about. I thought they needed to score two goals. Philly needed to score two goals, but we'll see ultimately uh, what this happens. And if and if Jim Curtin has put all of his eggs into this basket, they should be uh, all guns blazing here uh, for that uh, that second game. Uh, but, uh, we didn't uh, actually pick, but let's pick Napoli Milan. What do you got to advance? Yeah, let's go to, let's say to advance uh, Napoli. Okay, I'm I'm agreeing with you there. I'm picking Real Madrid over Chelsea. Agree. Agreed. Inter Benfica. Uh, you said this was fifty fifty, but. You know, when the draw came out, I said Inter. I've now shifted to Benfica. Okay, then I'll stay with Inter. Um, and then Bayern Munich, Man City. I am going to go uh, Bayern. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to go City. You're going to go City. Perfect. Okay, wonderful. All right, so we'll see how that uh, ultimately works out. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back. It's uh, time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there on all the social media platforms. And keep in mind that our social media platforms handle is SOTU with Alexi. Or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. I think we, I think we got some Twitter questions, right, this uh, week, Kamasi? Yes. First up, John Ruiz, he asks, if the Federation was considering adding your name, Alexi Lalo, to the list of potential managers, would you entertain the idea? Also, how could I get your name added to the list? <laughs> all right, John. Uh, I get asked all the time about uh, coaching because it is an obvious uh, and well-worn type of pathway for ex-players. I've never coached uh, before. Uh, when I finished my career, I went into the front offices for a number of years, a number of different teams, uh, but I never actually uh, coached. I would be awesome. Don't get me wrong. As a uh, as a coach, uh, I love what I do. I I take you know I take what I do seriously, but I don't take myself too seriously. I've said this before. I am a junkie for what we do, and I'm so thankful that I was able to find this because it provides me an incredibly uh, rewarding and challenging outlet uh, to still stay in this game uh, in a different way than coaching um, and to be you know, in entertainment and to talk about the game uh, that I love. Um, if and when there was ever a moment where I thought, I need to coach, I have to fulfill this thing inside me, I would do everything in my power. I would turn over every stone and access every type of contact that I had to, uh, to make that happen. When it comes to the, the U.S. national team, and we were just talking about Jim Curtin, and it was interesting when he was faced with the, uh, the possibility of coaching the men's national team, and he didn't hesitate. He said, absolutely, I would do that. The, you know, this would never happen, but if, if the U.S. men's national team or the U.S. Women's National Team, or a national team came to me and said, hey, this is something that we would want you to do. There would be a part of me that would look at it as um, not, just, not just something that would be interesting, but a, re a responsibility. 
Uh, and yes, uh, yes, an opportunity, but uh, an incredible responsibility to again represent the country that I feel is the greatest country in the world in this capacity uh, through soccer. Now, th that is not going to happen. And, you know, we've talked about Jesse Marsh and Jim Curtin and all of these wonderful coaches that we have. We have a whole list of uh, American coaches that are going to, I think, do wonderful things uh, going forward, including what, as it relates to uh, to the national team. But I want to keep doing what I'm doing here. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. I still have plenty of, um, uh, I, I, I can still get better at this, Mossy. And I've told you this before, I'm a junkie for this. And I want to be surrounded by people that are equally as committed and are junkies for this. I'm not just passing through and waiting for a coaching position to come along. This is my profession. This is what I love. And this is what I want to keep doing. And if, if I am just waiting for something else to come, then I'm cheating myself and I'm cheating the viewer. And it will manifest itself eventually in your performance, as I've said time and time again. So John Ruiz, that's, that's, that's very nice of you to even consider something like that. And I, I will leave you with this. Um, if that were to happen, whether for the national team or any other team, they should be so lucky. I don't think the national team can afford me. But if they could, I would be awesome. I think I would be an awesome coach. And I know there's coaches that are listening to this right now going, he doesn't know the half of it. He has no idea what he's talking about and the reality behind the scenes. And I, I, uh, I completely under, uh, understand that. But um, if, like I said, if at any point in the future, that would be something that uh, I wanted to do, uh, I would uh, do everything that I possibly could. And it would be really, really interesting if the national team did come to me and said, we need you on behalf of your country to do this. If I, as long as I could keep doing the pod and keep working with you, Mossy, I would be fine. But I would consider it as a service to my country in the same way that Jim Curtin, I think, talked about it uh, ultimately. So we'll see. So I don't think there's a way you can add my name to any type of list or Excel sheet. Although if you listen to the Federation right now, they are you know, spreading the net far and wide. And who knows, maybe an outside of the box type of hire or possibility out there would be something that they would, uh, you know, want to broach. What else? Next Twitter question at Joel the Connor. Um, I want to watch more MLS. This makes it impossible to this being all the games being on Saturday. Uh, why won't they spread the matches out some? Hmm. So we talked a little bit about this this new world in which we live in when it comes to watching MLS and the relationship uh, and the long term partnership and the very lucrative one when it comes to the billions uh, between Apple and MLS. There was a point, Mossy, yesterday, and yesterday would have been Sunday, when all the games from a European perspective had finished. NWSL had taken the weekend off because international break. And I found myself sitting in the afternoon and I, and I was thinking to myself, you know what I could really use right now is an MLS game. None to be found just a completely barren wasteland and void of MLS. And that's, that has not been in the case in the past. MLS staggered out games and there were games throughout the week and there were games on Saturday and there were games on Sunday. And it's not to say that there aren't going to be games on Sunday. For example, this coming week, we have El Trafico and uh, that type of stuff uh, that is going on. But for the most part, you know, I think I've, I, I calculated it out this weekend. 
there was a five-hour window in which 14 MLS games were played. And so part of the problem with that, from a junkie's perspective, an MLS junkie, is that I have watched way less MLS because it's all kind of happening in the same window and at the same time. Uh, I don't watch individual MLS games anymore, um, except the one on Fox. And all I watch now when it comes to the Apple uh, uh, relationship and partnership is the 360 show. And I think they do a great job, but that's the only way that I can see all of the stuff uh, that, is, that is going on. And look, this don't get me wrong, this is a, a strategy by MLS and by, um, by Apple. And I don't know ultimately if it's going to pay off. Saturday night games are easier to sell. And the entire experience within that moment for each and every MLS team is enhanced and more valuable by having it in, that, in those Saturday windows. So I get that. I completely, uh, I completely understand that. And as I said before, I'm, I'm a junkie for MLS. I'm a fan of MLS as opposed to a specific team. And I, what I've really seen happen is that MLS and MLS fans have become much more tribal. They're much more attached to their individual team. They're, you know, I, and this is just anecdotal, but somebody uh, tweeted me the other day and said, I didn't watch MLS, but MLS came to St. Louis, and now I am a fan of my St. Louis team. And, and so they're not necessarily fans of MLS. They are fans now of their individual teams. There's still guys like myself and others out there that are fans of, of the league. And that's where that pain comes from. But if all you care about is your individual team, then you don't only really care about all of the other games. I do think that there's, there's still plenty of us out there that kind of watch, want to watch more MLS. And from an uh, MLS standpoint, while having a fan of St. Louis, you can say is a fan of MLS, as a league, and if you put it up against you know, what the NFL does, NFL is kind of comfort food. If there is a football game, an American football game, on, people just want to watch that. It doesn't ultimately matter who it is. Yes, they have their individual teams, but they want to watch the league as a whole, and that's how they, they digest it as a whole, and that's why there are multiple uh, windows going on. I don't necessarily think anytime soon that is going to change, but this is a work in progress. And you know who knows? Maybe they will hear from us, and uh, ultimately there will be more windows, and there will be more MLS, because something's missing. Something's missing from my weekends now because it is so confined and isolated to this one window on Saturday uh, going forward. But again, a lot, lot smarter people than, uh, than I am uh, have thought about this long and hard, and this is the approach that they have decided to use. Yeah, baseball is grappling with the same issues. People seem to care about their teams, but they're not as willing to watch two other teams play. So while the NFL, as you mentioned, what makes it so unique and so popular is that if you're an NFL fan, you'll watch any NFL game that's put in front of you. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of how I watched MLS. So just any game. I mean, hell, there was a there was a moment, like I said, Sunday afternoon, where I would have taken a, you know, a 
Houston, Colorado MLS game or something like that. I don't know the Houston, Colorado people are going, oh, that's not fair. Well, you know, that's the, <laughs> that, that's it. I, I was just jonesing. I was like an addict and I just did not have my fix that for so many years has been, uh, uh been given to me. And, and again, I might just completely be in the minority when it comes to uh, thinking like that, but, and who, uh, so who knows how it ultimately go, uh, changes going forward. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I'll give you my one for the road. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show, and at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. Uh, Mossy, you know, I'm, I'm often associated with the Los Angeles Galaxy. Uh, it was the part of my MLS career where I had the most success, won an MLS Cup, Open Cup, these types of things. Um, and then I went on to work for the Galaxy. I still live here, as you do in, uh, in LA, and people still associate me with this, well, now, once great team. The Galaxy is going through a, uh, <laughs> a period, um, I, I venture to say, unlike anything that they have experienced. But there have been uh, valleys along the way, including one that I was responsible for from a front office staff uh, point uh, that ultimately resulted in my firing uh, and the, uh, the arrival of Bruce Arena and a wonderful era. Right now, this is a galaxy that in no way, shape, or form resembles the, the super club that the galaxy and I envisioned. And that's, you know, that's a problem for the galaxy. I also think it's a problem for, for Major League Soccer. I'm on the outside, so how you fix this, I ultimately don't know. But the galaxy has long been associated with winning. They are not only not winning right now, but they are playing poorly and ugly. And each and every weekend, there's something <laughs> new in terms of how far this team has fallen. I mean, this past weekend in Houston, <laughs> I don't know if you saw the Martin Caceres <laughs> situation, Mossy, but again, we talked earlier in the pod about not violating the space and the sacred space of referees. Martin didn't get the memo. And he not only went over and violated the space, but a space that is clearly delineated in the VAR box that you are not supposed to go in. And to be fair to this generation of players that have grown up and played in VAR, it is kind of sacred and people do not go over there. Not Martin Caceres. Oh, hell no. He decided to go right on over there, touch the referee, plead his case, and in doing so, got, get the automatic yellow that, that is required in that situation, which, by the way, was his second yellow, get a red card. It was only 1-0 at, at that point. They went on to lose the game 3-0 uh, to Houston. And in that moment, he had automatic, Martin Castros had automatic induction into the uh, moron yellow card hall of fame, Okay. All of that is to say is that it's not happy days right now when it comes to the Los Angeles Galaxy. And guess what's coming this weekend? El Trafico, all right? The highlight marquee type of matchup and game and rivalry in Major League Soccer. And LAFC right now is just sitting on the other side with a smoke and a coffee saying and just watching Carson burn. We, we talked uh, on many of the uh, episodes about the situation with the fans right now in the LA Galaxy. And they're not happy. They're not happy with Chris Klein. They're not happy with the decisions that were made. They're not happy with, obviously, the fact that this team is not winning. 
And it really comes down to winning. Winning solves everything, but this team is not winning. And they will continue to be under pressure from you know, a very vocal fan base that wants things to change. Um, and they will continue to be kind of ridiculed from the outside by so many that for so long have seen the galaxy being that pillar. And now for multiple years, not even close to living up to being one of the elite teams in, uh, in Major League Soccer. I don't know ultimately if that changes this year, Mossy. And, you know, the responsibility obviously falls to Greg Banny as the head coach. Yes, it, uh, it, it falls to uh, Chris Klein. And yes, it falls to Jovan Karaski and to the players ultimately that are, uh, that are on the field. But, you know, I can scream and yell and say, this is, not, this is not good enough. Everybody knows that. But how are you going to fix it? So what happened last time something like this happened? They came in, they cleaned house, including yours truly. Bruce Arena came in and did not mess around, made some wonderful acquisitions, got David Beckham to play at a, a high level, obviously Robbie Keane and Landon Donovan. I don't know if there's a Robbie Keane or a Landon Donovan uh, coming around the corner if they were to make changes right now. And whatever happens this weekend could go a long way in possibly turning around their fortunes because this is still MLS and things can happen. And the LA Galaxy hosting LA, LAFC in El Trafico, uh, what a moment to say, no, this is going to be a moment where we are going to turn it the opposite way. And because this is MLS, stranger things have happened. It would take a monumental type of change in play and mentality for this particular LA Galaxy team to find a way to beat LAFC, but it certainly uh, certainly can happen. Um, you know, go, from the outside, like I said, it's easy to crap on teams when they're not doing well. You don't need me to tell you or anybody else out there that it's not going well for the Galaxy. And like I said, there's plenty of teams out there and fans out there that are looking at it going, we don't care. Our team is doing well. And this is the Galaxy that for so long has been great. And people love to see stars. People love to see elites fail. Uh, there's a whole industry in watching that. But uh, I am going to watch with anticipation this game, uh, this game this weekend to see ultimately how this plays out because for the galaxy and for MLS, it's good when the galaxy are good. And this has been one of the flagship type of, uh, types of teams. I don't, it doesn't affect me one way or the other. Yes, I do have a connection to the galaxy, but that they are not playing well right now is not ruining my day. Again, as I said before in the previous segment, I think about MLS, MLS in much more of a holistic way, even with my association, my history with the Galaxy. So one team winning or one team losing doesn't change the way that I think about the game. I want everybody to succeed. I want the thing in totality ultimately to succeed. But in order for that to do that, some of these teams that are constantly looked at, and they're still, when people around the world think of, the, of uh, Major League Soccer, they still think of uh, the LA Galaxy in terms of that brand but it's not living up to that brand right now. And if this were Real Madrid, if this were Barcelona, or insert whatever your elite team is, heads would roll. But that's not happening uh, right now, or it hasn't happened uh, yet. But this is obviously not good enough, and I think the folks at the Galaxy would, uh, would agree, as would the fans out there. So keep your eyes peeled for this week and what happens on and off the field when it comes to yet another edition of El Trafico. To add insult to injury for the Galaxy, no Douglas Costa uh, for El Trafico because he's suspended. He also got himself red carded against Houston. I think he has, he might have more red cards and goals in his Galaxy career. <laughs> it is it is bad. It it's 
It's so bad. But again, this changes immediately when they win. This is all about winning. This is all about a quality Galaxy team. No matter what anybody says, no matter how anybody frames it or talks about big picture types of, types of stuff, nobody really gives a crap if Chris Klein is in charge or not, if Chris Klein is there or not, as long as they are winning. Let's hope, because I've been trying to get Jovan Karofsky as a guest on this podcast. I think it's only going to happen if their form picks up a little bit. Perhaps a win in El Trafico would do it. We could have him on. just what the doctor ordered. All right, listen, uh, that's enough for today. Thank you so much for tuning in, uh, for reviewing, for subscribing, for rating, for doing all the different things that you do out there when it comes uh, to the State of the Union podcast. Keep sending in those questions. Uh, and again, our State of the Union podcast hotline, as a reminder, 657-549-2297. We love when you call in. We love when you send in uh, questions out there. We will be back, as we mentioned, later on this week with our special guest. Uh, what's her name again? Allie Wagner. Yeah, she's awesome. Mossy loves her. I love her. We all love her here uh, as she gets ready for a huge, huge summer. Uh, and we want to talk to her about her latest uh, business venture, which is the expansion team when it comes to NWSL up there in the uh, in the Bay Area. And about a whole bunch of other things there. But she will be joining us uh, on Wednesday for the State of the Union podcast. Until then, and as always, my friends, size the day.